wasn't scary at all. <laughs> the Lord bless you. Great time of worship, wasn't it? Just beautiful. Worship, giving worth to the king. It's where we kiss the king, worship. It's beautiful. Uh, and fantastic communion service. Uh, just glorious. In fact, I might just steal uh, your end message, Jeff, for the title of this uh, message today. Uh, entitled, uh, Citizens of Heaven. Citizens of Heaven. Uh, we may have some uh, slides to bring up. There we go. What is a citizen? A citizen uh, at root is, is a, um, a, a member uh, of a city uh, or an inhabitant uh, of a state uh, or a country. Um, I, of course, as you know, I'm Scottish. I, what do you mean you'll pray for me? Uh, so I'm a British citizen, uh, but I was uh, transported over here um, and legally adopted uh, as an Australian citizen. Um, and so I have a dual citizenship. But when we are born again, we become a citizen of heaven. Uh, Philippians 3, 20 to 21 puts it this way. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, my wife is looking forward to seeing my <laughs> glorious body. She's watching the deterioration and praying, come Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a spiritual adoption which takes place when we're born again. You remember the Pharisee Nicodemus said to Jesus, well, what's this born again thing? We surely can't go back inside our, our, our mummy's tummies. And, uh, and Jesus replied this way, John 3, three, five, and six. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, and Paul uh, in the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm going to go fast for these guys, so you've got to keep up. <laughs> the old has passed, and behold, the new has come. You're going to hear a lot today of a lot of um, old things and new things, a lot of putting off and a lot of putting on. A transformation takes place uh, when we first come to God, when we confess our sins, uh, repent, uh, turn around, um, and receive Christ's offer of salvation, to choose to live God's way. Uh, if you remember the story in the uh, Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, when he went down to the potter's shed and he saw a potter uh, taking a clay which was marred or um, marked, uh, was imperfect, um, and he reformed it and reshaped it. Well, that's just what happens to us when we give ourselves to the Lord he reshapes us, reforms us into the image of Christ Jesus. Before we came to Australia, Joe and I uh, fostered uh, children for many years. And um, when they came into our home, uh, we treated them like our own children. Um, so we, we slapped them and no, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We're not live, are we? We are. Yeah. We did not do that. We loved them. 
we took them on holidays uh, with us, with our children, uh, and uh, we cared for them. But we had no legal claim over them. We had no legal right over them. Um, but people who adopt children have a legal right. Uh, the, the natural parents, if they're still alive, would sign over uh, the legal claim for their children, and the adoptive parents would sign a legal form, and they would have legal claim on those children. They belong then to them. Uh, adoption ad optio in the, in the Latin, to choose. John in 15, uh, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or last. So God the Father has adopted us and in that he has given us the same rights as his own begotten son, Jesus. That's why we are co-heirs with Christ. The adoption brings us into a family of God, which is wonderful. So now those who believe have an awful lot of brothers and sisters. Just, you know, don't expect birthday cars and Christmas gifts. We're brought into the family or, or, or the church. Uh, the Greek, of course, is ecclesia. It's a gathering of the citizens of heaven, presently here abiding on earth. We're also called the bride of Christ. There's a rich symbolism uh, when uh, Christ going to the cross offers his love uh, for us sacrificially um, for his people, those who believe in him. We become his, his bride. There's a consummation supper of the lamb that's going to take place. In the Galilean world of, of weddings, um, a bridegroom-to-be and a bride-to-be uh, would come together. Um, you know, these days, uh, it's more formal for us to get on one knee and propose. Uh, I did that to my wife about 36 years ago, uh, wearing a kilt uh, on the bottom half and a, a navy uniform on the top half. Um, and I had my... <laughs> Don't get that the other way around. <laughs> That would be embarrassing. Um, and I had uh, the engagement ring in my sporran, and uh, I presented that to her on one knee. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful moment. Uh, in the Galilean wedding, they do that with a cup, with a cup of joy. Um, and if the, the bride-to-be to accepts the cup, then they're betrothed. Uh, and then the bridegroom would go back to his father's house and would prepare a room um, in the father's house waiting for the father whose responsibility it was then to say, okay, go get your bride. Um, and then the bridegroom-to-be would, would go back and come in the night uh, to collect his bride. And oftentimes the Galilean uh, bride-to-be would, would sleep in her wedding dress because she never knew the day or the hour that the bridegroom would come. And she had to beautify herself, adorn herself, prepare herself for the coming of the bridegroom. Uh, and that's also our posture uh, as believers. Um, I remember, um, my wife will correct me, God bless wives uh, given to us as helpmates. I think it was maybe four and a half years ago, um, but I, I'm open to correction, um, that uh, we're visiting our, our daughter in Perth. Um, uh, this young uh, Australian fella had proposed to her in South Africa. And uh, while we were visiting her in Perth, she said, hey, mom and dad, why don't you come to the bridal gown shop I'm wanting to try on a wedding dress. And uh, so um, 
we rocked up at this bridal shop and my daughter went off and got changed, took a gown, and she pulled back the curtain and stood there in a wedding dress. And I burst out in tears. <laughs> she managed to squeak out, Dad! And she burst out into tears. Um, did you cry? Oh, you didn't even, did you? Oh, bless you. I'm the romantic one in the family. Um, but I, I wept because suddenly there was a revelation that she was going to be a bride, that a wedding was coming. A wedding was coming. And from that moment on, we worked earnestly because we knew there was a wedding coming. Uh, we may have a photograph um, of her here on her wedding day. Um, from your perspective, my, my daughter's the one um, on, on the left-hand side. <laughs> This, this is just the moment when uh, the father of the bride uh, hands up, says, go get your bride, hands over the bride, uh, and she's now uh, being married um, to her darling husband. He's a ranger, but we love him. Um, okay, you might, well, this is beautiful. This is in Santorini in, in Greece. Yeah, as, as a Scotsman paying for a wedding in, in Santorini, Greece, <clears throat> probably the most painful thing I've ever had to go through in my life. Um, okay, you're probably wondering about my wife now. So there's another photograph up here on our wedding day. Yeah, yeah. They say it's better to ask for forgiveness, isn't it, than, than permission. But, um, so you didn't know that was coming, but yeah, that was her. Weren't those 80s perms wonderful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife's got one as well. <laughs> well, well. I don't know why. Old photos of people, they tend to have so much hair. I really don't know why. I can't understand it. And so we see this throughout Scripture, this, this work of beautifying the bride, of adorning the bride. Um, it's a process called sanctification. Where we are set apart, uh, purified for God, made holy and dedicated to his service. Uh, Paul, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual wor worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, and in Galatians, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, we can see us partnering with God uh, in this uh, process of, of sanctification, being transformed into the image uh, of Christ. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Uh, as Jesus uh, came from the tomb, um, and about 50 days later ascended into heaven, he had said to his disciples, uh, fear not, for I will send another to you, uh, like me, uh, the paraclete, um, a comforter, a helper, an advocate, uh, someone who can, can live within you to teach you, guide you, um, and uh, produce uh, the fruits uh, in you uh, which are required. Uh, Galatians 5, to 23, a well-known scripture, um, tells us about those beautiful things which are working in us, growing in us, through the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, we used to be citizens of an earthly realm, uh, but now 
uh, and we're born of natural parents, but now, of course, we are born from on high, uh, and we have this spiritual rebirth. Uh, Josh uh, spoke um, last week about this briefly, talking about um, being born naturally to parents uh, all the way back to in the genealogy to Adam and Eve, uh, where there was uh, original sin uh, which entered in the garden. And so as such, uh, as human beings, we have this propensity towards sin. Never have to teach a child uh, how to be naughty. They just kind of got that in them, haven't they? I don't know why, but we have to teach them to be good. Um, so we have this, this uh, ever a desire within us to sin, to do that which is contrary to, to the will and good purposes of God. We are, in a sense, uh, born into a kingdom of darkness. But the desire of Christ is to transport us into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Domain here really means uh, like a, a, an estate, uh, a property uh, where uh, a lord or a master has authority over uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So God's enemy, uh, Satan, uh, is called the prince of the power of the air, or elsewhere um, is called the, the prince of the kingdom of the air. But the kingdom really is realm, if you understand it in that sense. Uh, and he has a, a limited authority and power in that realm. But when we ask Jesus into our lives, uh, we are transferred, adopted, uh, out of that kingdom and into God's kingdom. There's a transference of lordship. Sign the adoption papers. Legally belong to him. So we're now no longer, if we are believers, under that domain of Satan, under a yoke of slavery, but free to obey the Lord Jesus in the kingdom of his love and light. See, the old nature is in rebellion to God. We're stiff-necked uh, and stubborn. Um, talking about my mum. Uh, <laughs> hi, mum. Love you. She's not watching. I hope she's not watching. She might watch. Um, uh, many years ago, uh, <clears throat> when I came to the Lord, I think I was about 24 years of age, uh, Jo came first, got to be first and everything. Um, she was saved about a year before me. Um, and uh, after that time, uh, whenever we saw my mum and dad, uh, we would just preach the gospel to them, uh, tell them about Jesus, uh, ask them to come and make a decision and accept Christ into their lives. Uh, my mum was more gracious than my father. Uh, she would politely say, no. Uh, my father was less gracious, um, his language more colorful, uh, but there was no way that they were going to come into God's presence. And so I, um, uh, we, every time we, we saw them, you know, we, we spoke to them, and a couple of years passed. Uh, we were living in the northeast of Scotland in a city called Aberdeen, um, which is about two hours' drive north of the capital, Edinburgh. And there was this fantastic event on, in Aberdeen with uh, Graham Kendrick, this March for the Cross, beautiful evangelistic event, fantastic worship, powerful evangelistic preaching. 
And uh, we saw scores and scores of people one night um, in this uh, ballroom holding about 1,000 people. Um, in fact, it had a sprung floor because it was a dance, dance hall. And the place was just bouncing with, with people worshiping the Lord. Um, I probably shouldn't do that as I'm getting older. Um, excuse me. Could have warned me. Um, <laughs> and, and they were, sorry? Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the other things I was worried about. Um, <clears throat> called something else these days. It used to be pecs. Um, and uh, there, were, there were scores of people who came to Christ. Beautiful, just wonderful. And the friend of mine who actually brought me to the Lord, an Assemblies of God pastor called Colin, said, that was amazing. Let's go to Edinburgh. They're in Edinburgh tomorrow night. We'll go down and have some more fun. I said, yeah, let's do that. So we went to Edinburgh. And, uh, and then Colin turned to me a few hours before the event and said, oh, your mum and dad live quite close to here in Edinburgh, don't they? And I went, yeah, that's right. Well, why don't you invite them along to the event? They're not safe. Bring them along. I went, ah, they won't come. He went, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> Phoned them up immediately. I went, oh, because you say so, I shall. So I called them up. My mum answered the phone, and um, I invited her. And uh, she said, oh, well, yeah, your, your dad's already drunk uh, on the sofa. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. What would you expect? Uh, so he won't be going anywhere. And I don't really like driving at night and blah, blah. Um, I went, okay, well, not to worry. And I was about to hang up. She said, well, well, maybe I could. Well, maybe I could. I went, oh, that'd be great. So actually, she made her way over, and I met her at the Usher Hall in Edinburgh. And we went into this event, and it was a, uh, a different night than the previous night. The message was the same. The songs were the same. But uh, the presence of God, which was in that place in Aberdeen, for some reason, wasn't there in Edinburgh. This evangelist preached the gospel, and he made an appeal, and no one responded. And uh, it was a cold night with brassy heavens. And we looked at each other and went, ooh. Um, that's not so great. And then this evangelist did a real cop-out. And uh, when I get to heaven, actually, I'm going to rebuke him. But he, uh, <laughs> he said, um, mm, um, if, if you've brought someone with you who's unsaved, why don't you turn to them uh, and ask them to come to Jesus? I thought, that's your job. You're an evangelist. That's your job. That's why, you know, you... that's why we had the whip brand, wasn't it? Um, uh, and so I went, oh, hold on. My mom's here. So I turned to my uh, pastor, uh, spiritual father, Colin, Assemblies of God minister, uh, and an evangelist, and I gave him the eye, which is like, you know, speak to my mum. Uh, he, he retorted with his eye, which is like, to your mum, you, call her, you, you called her, you invited her, you, you speak to her. I went, oh, okay, because you said I will. And so I turned to my mum, I said, mum, you know that I'm a Christian. Yes, Kenny, I know that. Okay. Um, well, look, uh, Jesus loves you. Um, he died for you. Uh, and you really need to give your life to him. And uh, she says, no. Nah. <laughs> I went, okay. <clears throat> I was a bit quick with that. I said, uh, yeah, maybe you don't understand. Um, uh, Jesus went to the cross, God's beloved son, to die in your place. Because of your sin, the wages of sin is death, the wee eternal death. You'd be separated from the love of God forever and forever. Will you give your life to him? And she took a step back, folded her arms and said, No, Kenny, I don't feel a thing. And I thought, okay. Well, I've gone this far now. I might as well just go the whole way. So I then, I then knelt before her and took her hands and I said, Mom, I love you so much. I can't bear the thought that we'll be separated forever and ever. Will you give your life to Jesus? 
And she pulled her hands out of mine and went, no. <laughs> yep. Um, so if you're watching, yeah, that really hurt. <laughs> I've had ministry, it's okay. And so I, I, I was still on my knees and I, I turned around away from her and I had this vision of an, of an open grave um, and I was lowering like a pallbearer my mum's casket into the grave because she was, she was dead now forever and ever and ever and ever. And I just wept and wept and wept and wept, wept. We kissed and parted and uh, a couple of years uh, went by. Uh, and then um, <clears throat> I was invited to direct this uh, play uh, called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody seen that play? Yeah, okay. very powerful. About nine scenes, um, where uh, there, are, there are actors on the stage in various uh, situations. Some of them uh, are Christians, some of them not. Uh, but each of them uh, meet with an untimely death. Um, it's not a comedy. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very hard-hitting drama. Um, but those who um, are, are not in Christ, uh, uh, Satan uh, comes on stage uh, and drags them into hell. For those who are saved and they die, uh, they go up these steps uh, into, into heaven. And there's this hallelujah chorus, there's angels all around, and Jesus is there with the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, so, yep, saved, you go to heaven. Not saved, you, you go the other way. And um, so, um, Joe and I took a little role as well, acting. So I was a, like this drug pu pusher, you know, and she was a, a drug addict uh, in the play. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, after we died, we were, we were, we were dragged by, by the devil into hell. Uh, hell was the, uh, the, the minister's office, uh, a little vestry uh, off stage. And uh, so there was, a, there was a few hell-bound people in there. But while we were in there, we were praying for people who had been brought along to the drama. And because I was in the drama, not a starring role, but in the drama, my mom said, I'd like to come along and see you in the play. I said, that'd be great. So she came along. She was sitting in the audience of about 300. And uh, someone turned to me and said, oh, you, your mom's here tonight. I said, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's pray for her, for her salvation. I said, yep, yep, go ahead, go ahead. And, and I turned around. I couldn't pray. I didn't have the faith to pray for her. I felt I had done all that I could possibly do, and this woman was lost forever. And uh, so they prayed. <clears throat> and at the end of the drama, we came out of hell, <laughs> back into the back of the, uh, the church building. And uh, the guy who was preaching stood up, made an appeal. And this woman jumped up at the back and ran down to the front, uh, followed by another 20, 25 people. And just a wonderful response to the gospel. And then suddenly I realized it was my mum who was first there in tears accepting Christ. It was just beautiful, wonderful. Love you, mum. It's in Scotland. Um, you know, the, the gospel says that uh, one sows a seed, another waters, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Let me just say something to you. Don't ever give up on your family don't give up on your friends don't give up on your neighbors your children your grandchildren don't give up keep sowing the seed others will water God brings the increase so then uh, what is the kingdom of God well it's the domain or the realm in which Christ rules supreme as king with all authority uh, reigning over the subjects of the kingdom uh, when Pilate interrogated Jesus, he asked him if he was a king. 
And Jesus answered in uh, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Indeed, it's a spiritual world in many ways. You know, the Hebrew people, uh, Peter was preaching about three weeks back about being grafted into the vine. Uh, just, just beautiful. But the Hebrew people were waiting for a Messiah, waiting for uh, a kingdom. Um, and in many ways, they're waiting for a, a, a physical kingdom, someone who would overthrow the Roman Empire. Um, but Jesus uh, replied this way, Luke uh, 17, verse 20 to 21. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will we say, look, here it is, or there, behold, for the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of heaven is where God rules supreme, where he sits on his throne um, and has lordship over his created realm. That's why when Jesus came to earth, he says the kingdom's at hand. Hey, it's near, it's in the midst of you. When Jesus went to, pay, uh, to the cross to pay for the penalty of sin, uh, death, uh, he opened up a doorway into a new kingdom uh, for those who would believe. The kingdom of God then is God's governance over his people. So we're living in Australia, I believe, um, under a, a democracy. Are, are we? Did somebody <laughs> democracy? Uh, uh, demos is people, uh, krasi, uh, with the K in the, in the Greek, is, um, is rule. So democracy is a rule of people. Uh, but in, in the kingdom of God, as citizens of heaven, uh, spiritually, we ought to be under a theocracy, a theocracy, a, a, a God rule, the rule of God. God should reign and rule supreme in our hearts. That's why Darren was talking another week, if you remember, he's preaching on uh, this subject and talking about we ought to obey the law of the land until such time as it breaks the moral code of God. Then we come under a theocracy. Uh, so Christ rules supreme in this kingdom, but <clears throat> we're not, we're not, um, we're subjects of it, but we're not, we're not slaves in it in that sense. Uh, not even servants, although we are to serve. Jesus came to serve. Uh, but actually, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians six eighteen. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God views us as sons and daughters. So then if we are sons and daughters, uh, as citizens of heaven, what should our priorities be on earth? Colossians 3, verse 1 to 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We're united with Christ. Christ went to the cross and died, and actually, uh, as believers, so did we. Uh, he was raised uh, from the tomb into uh, a newness of life, and as we come to Christ, so are we. He ascended to be with the Father in heaven, uh, and the day shall surely come when so shall we. We're united with him. In verse 4, it says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are no longer our own. We have been bought at a price, a great price, the precious blood of Jesus. And so we are now citizens of heaven, but commissioned to remain here on earth a while uh, to serve him and to do his will. Uh, you remember 
Pastor Darren, before he, he left um, uh, to go abroad, he talked about being ambassadors of Christ, representing the king. Do you remember that? You here? Um, when people uh, look at you, they should see Jesus. Um, Peter and John, the apostles, were walking in Solomon's uh, colonnade, and they saw a, a, a beggar who was lame, uh, who was begging in the street. And Peter looked at him and said to the lame beggar, look at us. Look at us. That is, look, and you shall see Christ. Look at us. Look at Christ. In Acts 3, 6, he then says, you know, gold and silver I have not, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. They had that authority because they recognized who they were in Christ. So as we as believers are walking on this uh, realm, the earth, we do so as ambassadors of Christ, carrying the authority of Christ as sons and daughters of Christ, a bride in the making. We are the ecclesia, a gathering of citizens of heaven, abiding a while, <coughs> excuse me, abiding a while on earth. <coughs> uh, God partners with us then in this transformation and translation, uh, transforming our earthly citizenship to a heavenly citizenship. <clears throat> our sinful nature into uh, a godly and perfect nature. Um, the word metanoia uh, in Greek <clears throat> really uh, means repent, but the, the root is a change of mind. Um, Christianity is not just something which touches the heart. It does do that, of course. Uh, but it's something in which uh, it affects our thought processes. We get the word metamorphosis from, from this word metanoia. We come to Christ, we make a, a, a decision to turn from our sin, to turn away from the path that we've been taken and turn towards God. Our earthly mindset led us into sin. Um, so this is what we're encouraged to do in Colossians 3, verse 5 and 8 to 10. To put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new. There's a lot of putting off and putting on uh, in, in Paul's preaching. Now, these things are indicative of our carnal nature. That was our old nature before we became Christians, then under the dominion and the domain of the prince of the air. When we come to Christ, many of those things just lose their grip on us as we come into this incredible uh, relationship with a loving and holy God. But it's still a choice of the will. Romans uh, 13 verse 11 to 14 says, The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here we are, are again. You ready? Put on. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So moment by moment by moment, we make these choices. To so go back to our old nature, 
uh, or to live in our new nature, our heavenly nature. Thankfully, Holy Spirit resides within every believer uh, as a teacher and a guide uh, to help us uh, to be transformed uh, into his image. So we need to be sensitive to the leading and the guiding uh, of God in us. Remember um, when uh, Elijah was taken up on a whirlwind in the chariots of fire? Uh, fantastic Old Testament imagery. <clears throat> and Elisha, his servant, uh, was there. Uh, and as the mantle fell uh, from Elijah onto the floor, Elisha had a choice to make. He had a metanoia moment uh, where he would have to decide what to do. And so he decides to take off his cloak, uh, pick up Elijah's cloak, uh, and put it on. Uh, to take on the authority and the anointing of God, to go and do works for him. That's kind of the imagery we have, really moment by moment by moment in God. Colossians 3, uh, verse 12 to 15, uh, Paul says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Is that word rule? Rule, the domain of Christ. Um, Jeff touched on this uh, during the communion. But we are, we are in a critical moment in history. You know, God's, God's word is under assault in every uh, area. The Ten Commandments are, are not well known. I think, I think Cindy and uh, Lorena uh, and I would testify to that on the street. Um, young people don't really know the Ten Commandments. They haven't been taught it. They, don't, they haven't heard of it, many of them. Some of them might be able to quote one or two, possibly, steal and murder or something, but that's it. These things used to be taught in our schools. You know, my... My mum shooed the kids out. Let's go, go to Sunday school. Go to Sunday school. Have a lie-in on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning. Off you go. You know, it used to be a common thing to send children to at least have some moral instruction. Off you go to church. It's not happening today. Uh, I went to a state school. I was uh, in, a, in a very impoverished area uh, when I was um, uh, young and brought up. Um, and even just a state school, not a religious school, but even there... Uh, every morning we started with assembly and someone got up, you know, preached a short message and prayed and we were sent to our classes. Lunchtime stood up and said grace before lunch. Doesn't happen now. You know, families would come around the family dinner table and say grace and hold hands before a meal. It was common. Just getting families around a family dinner table now is <laughs> not an easy task. Kids are in their rooms with their phones, their tablets, their computers. Used to read Bible stories to kids at night as they went to sleep. Not so common today. Life used to revolve around a village parish church that was the heart and the hub of the community. Now it's, you know, a sports field or something in cyberspace. There was a time when the, the name of the Lord was revered in society. There was a, a holy fear of God in society. Um, and now his name is used really with disdain. Now even the very nature of God's creation, the apple of his eye, is being transformed in some cases into something which is abhorrent in his sight. Holy matrimony, 
is often far from holy. I looked at the, uh, the Worldometer website uh, the other day, and the last 10 months, there's been 36 million abortions in the world. They put a little chart there as to the reasons given for the abortions. Do you know what the, the highest reason is coming in at 74%? is inconvenient at the moment to have a baby. Inconvenience is the greatest reason by far for abortion. I think it's inconvenient to miss a bus. The wheels, the wheels are falling off society. Do you remember the remarkable story in, in, in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000? That was 5,000 men. Uh, there would have probably been as many women and a number of, of children. Um, the people were astonished at this miracle, and they were trying to force Jesus to be their king, overthrow the Romans. But they were looking at the natural, not the spiritual. They wanted someone to restore their, their, their fortunes um, and to feed their bellies, uh, not to have a savior uh, who would forgive their sins uh, and feed their souls. Jesus, the next day after this miracle takes place with this huge crowd, he rebukes them. Uh, it's recorded in John verse 26 and 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Then he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then it's recorded that many of those followers left him. They could not uh, bear his hard teaching. They were unwilling to pay the price for obedience, and they went home. From a crowd of 10,000, suddenly Jesus was left with the 12. And he turned to them and said in John 6, 67, 68, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There were, there were three people groups, I believe, uh, that day. One of them is not recorded in Scripture, but, but surely that group would be the people who stayed at home. The people who had heard the rabbi was coming, that Jesus of Nazareth was in town, that he was doing signs and miracles and wonders. The deaf people were hearing, the, the mute was speaking, uh, the blind was seeing, the lame were walking. But they decided, nah, I'm going to stay at home. It's not for me. Stubborn and stiff-necked. Then there were the people who returned home. They had just seen the miracle uh, of the miraculous increase of bread and fish, listened to the teachings of Jesus. But the allure of their own old life uh, was too much for them. Today's analogy might be people who come to church, but if it doesn't meet their expectations, then they go home. There were the people who stayed home the people who returned home. And then there were the apostles of Christ. They were the people who were home. They were home. They had already left their homes on earth, their jobs, their livelihoods, their loved ones. When Jesus looked at them and said, follow me, they had made their home in Christ. This home on earth was no longer their home. They knew already. They were citizens of heaven, that Christ was their Lord and their king. They'd heard all the parables of the kingdom. 
We'll just touch on one if maybe the muses would like to join me back on stage. Thank you. Uh, Matthew 13, uh, 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Perhaps the biggest question that man has ever asked in the history of man fell from the lips of Pontius Pilate when he said in Matthew 27, 22, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is the Christ? What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? It's a question that every man and every woman, every boy and every girl must ask when they hear the gospel. What shall I do with Jesus, who is Christ? Do I receive him as savior? Or must I meet him as judge? If I'm a churchgoer, do I return home? Or do I make my home in him? If I'm a believer, is he truly my Lord and my master, my king? Or do I still give some of my allegiance to the prince of the air and to my old nature? Do I still indulge the old man? What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? So what is Christ to you? Is he your anchor? But when the storms of life pass, is he still? Is he simply an insurance policy? Or is he your life and your very next breath? There are many who will be before the Lord on that great and most most terrible of days. Matthew 7, 23. And they say to the Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So what is Christ to you? This is what Christ meant to the old hymn writer, Isaac Watts and his hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Are you home? Or is it time for you to come home? Would you be kind enough just to stand with me? Let's just close our eyes for a moment and pray. What shall I do in this moment with Jesus who is the Christ? Will you receive him as savior or shall you meet him as judge? you're here and you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus, I just want to encourage you in this moment, in this holy moment, to say yes to him, to choose to make your home with him, to cast off your old nature and receive a new nature in Christ.
who will make you perfect, just like Jesus. If that's you in this quiet moment, would you be kind enough just to slip your hand up and just include you in a prayer? Is there anybody here today? If you're watching online and you want to do this, then just wherever you are, just raise your hand to the Lord and say, that's me. Lord Jesus, uh, for these dear ones, we say, bring them home. Let them find their home in you. If you are of uh, the kind who understands what it is to be a Christian, but sin still has its grip on you, and you struggle to put to death your old nature, not truly stepping into the kingdom of heaven, still wanting one foot in the kingdom of this realm, then maybe it's time for you to make your home in him. We're just going to sing. If that's you and you need some prayer, then please just make your way forward as we, as we sing together. Thank you.